on this episode of the Unrelatable Podcast. I, I wrote a play once, three drafts in a month, and uh, there's no way that wasn't mania-inspired. And it was like real Amadeus vibes of, no one disturbed me, I'm working in my room, and I'm not sleeping, but it's fine because I'm touched by genius. Just a warning before you listen to the podcast. If you're easily triggered by foul language, sensitive topics, and dark humor, might want to find something else to do right now. Listener's discretion is advised. Hey you! Are you looking for a happy, lighthearted podcast to listen to? Well, you've come to the wrong place. Welcome to the Unrelatable Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode. My name is Faith Ng, and I will be your podcast host. Now, um, some of you may be wondering the reason behind the name, the premise of the podcast, or just why I decided to make a podcast in general. So uh, let me explain everything to you right now. So this podcast is essentially people explaining factors they think have caused them to have poor communication skills with others in their life, whether it was multiple people or just very prominent people in their life. So for example, parents, significant others, siblings, anything under that umbrella. So it's kind of like an origin story podcast, but for people who have had a hard time trying to communicate with others and trying to get them to understand them better for various reasons. But the reason I made this podcast is to reach out to others who feel similar to me in a way. I would say I have really poor communication skills, and I'm sort of aware why I may have these. For example, um, I have a hard time knowing when to stop talking, because when I was younger, I thought that the more you talk, the closer you get to somebody. So I was very impatient, and I really wanted to make friends, so I just wouldn't stop talking, which is very annoying, I know. I was also adopted, and the whole talking too much thing may have also been a result of having attachment issues with a lot of people in my life. I also come off as very hostile, because I have been told throughout my whole life that I am too overbearing, because I wouldn't stop talking, and I was constantly clingy, and I was this really energetic kid. I also have ADHD, anxiety, borderline personality disorder, and chronic periods of derealization, which is a type of dissociation, if you didn't know. But anyways... In my opinion, my diagnoses and my upbringing have impacted my social skills quite a bit. And I think there are a lot of ways in which I struggled to communicate with others back then and now and just essentially throughout my whole life. I know there are a lot of people out there who are self-aware enough to sort of conclude why their communication skills were a big issue throughout their life. I hope that by people sharing their stories of conflict, misunderstandings, and whatnot with others that we are able to learn to empathize with people who may come off as very anxious, manipulative, self-destructive, not trying hard enough to socialize, overly quiet, very insecure, or anything under that umbrella. Not to say that you have to empathize with all of our guests, but I encourage you to try to empathize with some. I think people need to learn that no one can fully understand why someone acts the way they do, and try to figure out ways they can support others who have a hard time communicating to make sure they don't feel alone, 
while being aware of your own boundaries, of course. So various topics that we will discuss in this podcast will be neurodiversity, race, culture, sexuality, upbringing, gender identity, and other topics such like that. Uh, Because many of these people on this podcast have said that these affected their social skills, in their opinion. Other things to note, one, I don't have a soundproof room. I have a lot of dogs. You will probably hear barking at least once in the podcast. Two, the mics cut out sometimes because I am using a cheap mic and I'm assuming that every other person that is on this podcast is probably using a cheap mic. Um, I repeat words a lot and I stumble my words when I'm interviewing people. This is because everything is scripted except for the interview. I still stumble my words even when reading this thing, but I stumble my words a lot more in the interview. So just bear with me. I'm nervous. I have a hard time socializing as it is. And I will work on my socializing skills, or not even my socializing skills, just the way I speak. Um, I'll work on it more as the episodes go on. But hopefully you'll be distracted by all of these hilarious people that I have on my podcast. Trust me, they are very funny. Lastly, I will be posting every Saturday for the most part. I am posting this on a Sunday because I got very lazy, but for the most part, it will be posted every Saturday. With that being said, my guest for today is Andrew Lazad, who just happens to be a good friend of mine. He is a comedian based in Toronto who has also found that comedy has helped him cope with, he would say, a rough upbringing, and he was recently diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Anyways, here's Andrew. Thank you so much for being on this podcast, Andrew. Thank you for welcoming me for being on this podcast, Faith. Yes, I hope you're not offended by the fact that I invited you to be on this podcast and it happens to be about people whose social skills, you know, kind of suck. And I hope, you know, you don't take that too harshly i mean i don't know i'm self-aware enough to know what was going on with me before the podcast was before podcasts were even invented yes i mean like technically i didn't ask you on the podcast just because of that it was more like we have like similar disorders so that's more like why i reached out to you right there's a lot of overlap there's a lot of overlap we're not going to get too much into it because, you know, we have to get straight into this podcast. But anyways, um, thank you so much for coming on, essentially, is what I meant to say. I'm excited for this mental illness cross-promotion. <laughs> this, By the way, this podcast is not just a mental illness podcast. It's about a lot of things. Just today, it's mostly about mental illness. Oh, and trauma, right? Wee! Yeah, exactly. Trauma. Yay. That's my trauma noise. Yes, we love trauma. Anyways, okay, so first off, uh, to go off uh, the topic of this podcast, so do you, like, feel that people truly never understand you? Because I guess it's kind of the theme with this podcast. At least this is how I feel a lot. I don't know if you do. Well, I mean, that's also just an existential question. Like, (laughs) can we ever really know one another? Um, I guess not, but, like... I mean, like, do you feel like people just never gave a shit to try to understand you? No, I think some people have. Okay, then. Okay, then. I mean, I you know, 
I'm entertaining at the least. Or like people are just like, what is that? You know, like going to a zoo a little bit, but in a nice way. So you feel like, you feel like people find you interesting, just not like, um, what's the word? They just don't like... Relatable. Yes. (laughs) You know, trying to plug that title. Exactly. So I guess, yeah, maybe it's not a... Maybe it's not a question of people did, you know, ever felt like people truly understand you, but I guess, pe- do you think people, like, yeah, you could, you felt like no one could truly, like, relate to anything you've really felt? Well, and I mean, just, like, sitting at a family reunion, too, like, there's no other comedians, there's no other, like, artists, per se. Yeah. So, that in itself, like, to try and explain to anyone else in my family what I do for a living, it's... Mm-hmm. Wait, so then... Almost impossible. Okay, wait, but your dad... Okay, so your dad sold oranges. What did your mom do? My mom's an emergency room nurse. Oh, and then what did your brother do? My brother? Um, okay. Well, my brother, I can explain that too, but uh, he does background work in movies, but not like just an extra. Like, if you're watching a horror movie, he's the one in the monster suit. But like... That's still creative. Yes, it is. But this is a very recent development for him. Like, he started off wanting to be a physiotherapist and then wanting to be an engineer. And then he got a private investigator's license and learned, started learning Krav Maga. And then he wanted to be a marine biologist. And now he's doing that. Sounds very ADHD. By the way, for the people listening, he has ADHD and I have ADHD. So, like, it's not it's not assuming thing. It's, like, legit. So. Well, he's still waiting on his full diagnosis. Okay, never mind like, then. I was just I being mean, insensitive. he's been waiting on it his whole life. Okay. So, I guess I am just being insensitive. Sorry. Well, no. It's something I think about all the time now. About, like, could my parents not notice my mania because he was so ADHD and then they're just like, this is just how teenagers are with their hormones. And at the same time, he couldn't get diagnosed with ADHD formally because he was always comparing it to my mania. Okay, so, yeah, sorry, your parents never got to understand what neurotypical men. I mean, there was a lot going on. There probably wasn't time. Like, if we're both fast-oriented people, it's just sort of like, keep an eye on them. <laughs> okay. Anyways, um, so with that being said, the whole, like, you know, uh, you know how you feel like no one could really relate to you. So, like, what are, like, what do you think are traits that, you know, made people um, maybe criticize your social skills, possibly, or just made you feel, like, unrelatable? There's, like, distinct things you could point out why you feel like that? Well, um, I grew up in a neighborhood with no other children, so automatically, if I wanted to have conversations, it had to be with adults, so I talked like a mini-adult, um, and I watched uh, mini-adult TV, so like, while other kids were watching like Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers, I was like, did anyone see that last episode of Frasier? Uh, mm-hmm. It was a delight, a pithy, uh, pithy delight. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and then at the same time, when my parents got divorced, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. So even like my pop culture sensibility is off. Like I listened to old like radio programs and like Twilight mm-hmm. Zone, Alfred Hitchcock, uh, Columbo. Columbo's great. 
I've never if I can seen say anything Columbo. to the youth of today, Columbo. I will watch Columbo. I don't know who Columbo is, but I will watch him because of you. It's great. It's great. Okay. Anyway, so yes, you are essentially a little old man at heart. This is this is his words, not mine. Right. Uh, um. Okay then. So I'm that's bipolar. I'm Métis. I'm. Uh, I'm named after someone who died, and there's been a lot of claim of just, like, <laughs> it freaks people out how much I look like him, and there's been a lot of, like, reincarnation spooky talk, which is a lot to put on a put on a kid. There's a lot going on that mm-hmm. made me very other very quickly. I thought you said you also have trauma. We're not getting into that too much, but you also said you have trauma. I mean, I have trauma, too, but how long is the podcast? <laughs> Like, are we making a trilogy? No, I guess... I'm, I mean, I'm only talking with you for, like, an hour. I mean, we could I mean, be a trilogy. I have to... Cut, cut to the quick of it. I've got uh, CPTSD, which is Complex Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, which is experiencing stress uh, over a long period of time as opposed to just a one-hit traumatic event. Yeah. And uh, I have maladaptive uh, daydreaming or a form of... A dissociative disorder. Yes. So I, I either have crazy daydreams or just straight up uh, blackout fugue states where I'm like walking around, but my brain isn't really recording yeah. anything that's happening, and I just snap out of it. Mm-hmm. And you usually do that within um, like social situations you're uncomfortable with, right? Uh, I don't think so, actually. In a weird way, I think the awkwardness is almost like a thrill ride to me. It's like an adrenaline rush that keeps me present. Like, a lot of people with trauma get, like, addicted to things like spicy foods and things because it shocks you awake and keeps you present. Makes sense. I was talking about this with my therapist the other day, and she, yeah, she said, like, because I constantly, like, dissociate, she was like, oh, t- put some hot sauce on your tongue, or, like, get some wasabi. So, yeah. Right. Or if you ever go to a, um, a rehab clinic or something, they do that thing where you put an elastic band on your wrist so you can snap mm-hmm. it and just, like, yeah. put yourself awake. Okay. But, like... Wait, so then you only maladaptive daydream when it's just kind of like you need that shock of to your system or something. I think it's when I'm personally just stressed out and overwhelmed and my body knows that I don't really know at a certain point how to calm myself down. So it's like a hard reboot of a, of a computer. They're just like, okay, we're overloading, hard shutdown. Yeah. But, like, what do you, when you're maladaptive daydreaming, like, what do you usually, like, daydream about? Oh, it could be anything. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, all of a sudden I'm floating in space or I'm reliving a memory, like, over and over again. Or, like, mm-hmm. playing it out in different ways. And then I, like, come out of it and I'm in Barrie, Ontario for some reason. Wait, by the way, can you explain, like, the difference between, like, daydreaming and maladaptive daydreaming, by the way? Um, maladaptive daydreaming is you get so sucked into it. Like I've had teachers in front of my face, like snapping in front of my face and being like, Andrew, 
Andrew, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. And I'll just come out like, what? Huh? But she had been like almost screaming at me. How old were you when this happened? I mean, like Uh, this memory specifically? Oh, this? This I was probably in like grade six. And I was in the middle of class and she was trying to talk to me. Like, this was a nice woman. She wasn't just screaming at me to scream at me. It was just like, from her perspective, I had gone catatonic. Okay. I see. So she was just really concerned. She she wasn't trying to be, like, rude. Okay. Or she thought I was being rude by just being like, I'm ignoring you. Yeah. No. You weren't ignoring me. Or maybe you were. I don't know. I mean, you could use it to ignore, but... Yeah, you weren't ignoring her at that time. Pretty much. But I've also had other things where people are just like, do you remember this whole conversation we had? I'm like, no, not at all. Because I can, it's almost like sleepwalking. Yeah, but like you're sleepwalking in a place in your head where a bunch of cool stuff happens. Yeah, except like uh, one of the more recent ones that happened was I went to run a bunch of errands and then I snapped out of it and I was holding a subway sandwich uh, in one hand and I'm just like how much time has passed and I checked my pockets and I had done all my errands I just don't know where I got the sandwich from wait so then what's uh, the difference between the maladaptive daydreams and the like the daydreaming and the blackouts and, like that's part of it but like you know what I, I mean it's just there isn't a real difference it's just that sometimes they're there is a daydream involved and sometimes it's just like there there is no daydream it's like a yeah. blank like the end of sopranos where it just like goes to black and then like i haven't cuts seen the... to something else i'm trying to watch soprano don't spoil it for me i guess that wasn't that big of a spoiler okay. though <laughs> wait but okay so i think i it's kind of well my thing what i was thinking about is like when you like get hypnotized and you just like snap your fingers and you just like out of it is it kind of like that yeah it's like a jump cut yes. in a movie okay but this jump cut you just randomly got a sub yeah i got a sub mm-hmm. and then i still couldn't figure out and by the way it was a good sub and or anything like i really enjoyed i really my unconscious self is very kind to me but like um, maybe you spent more money than you should have on the sub maybe they like overcharged you like a dollar because you got extra meat no because i found the receipt Okay, never mind. It's in my jacket pocket. Okay, never mind. And and then later, like one day, I just tried to recreate my steps and just like took a different route home. Mm -hmm. And I found the subway and I walked in. I'm just like, I wonder if this is the one. And the guy behind the counter was just like, oh, man, I was wondering when you were coming back. Man, the conversation we had, it changed my life. And I have no clue who this person is. Uh, I mean, like... At least, like, your unconscious self was, like, nice and, and, yeah, right. you know, and sociable and, you know, obviously, you know, yeah, it was taking care of yourself and, you know, everybody seemed to like him. Oh, totally. And, and there have been times, like, I remember apologizing to my roommates, like, guys, I'm not cleaning the bathroom enough. And I just wanted to thank you guys for, like, really keeping on top of the bathroom. And they were like, that was you. Almost every time. And I'm like, I'm a great person subconsciously i mean like yeah i think you should what was i gonna say i think you should be proud that your unconscious self is a nice guy right i almost a better person i'm willing to bet i mean maybe probably i'm kidding no we love andrew (laughs) can we name him something else 
The unconscious, like, version of you? Oh, the unconscious. I'm like, but that's my name. Um, I don't... Paul. Uh, uh, Paul. I mean, my middle name's Jonathan. Can I get Paul? All right. Yeah, like that Do alien movie. Or not. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it alien? I think it is. Wait, uh, well, there's a movie called Paul with aliens in it. That's yeah. like Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and the aliens like Seth Rogen. Yeah, I haven't seen it, so maybe I'll watch it. I mean, I don't know. Oh, that one's good, yeah. Okay, there's got a lot of movies I have to watch. Anyways. Um, what have you even been doing with your pandemic? You have so much TV to catch up on. I don't know. I really don't watch that much TV. I watch... I mean, like, I used to watch more movies. Now i am just been kind of, like, not watching them. I feel like I just can't focus, so... I, I was going to ask if it's an ADD thing. Oh, totally. Because my brother, again, does not like movies because he can't sit there for that long. I mean, I like them, but I also don't. Does that make sense? It's like a love-hate. It's like sometimes... Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, you can go he, through phases. He still has favorite films and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I do too. I think everybody does. It's just like you go through phases, right? Where you like love to watch movies and then you just kind of like, I hate this. I'd rather just like, you know, go on a walk or just sleep or, I don't know, eat food. <laughs> I mean, uh, to be fair, also my stepfather um, edits for, like, film, television, um, you know, office Mm -hmm. safety videos, whatever you got. But I've never seen him be, like, really big on movies and stuff before. So, uh, you know, maybe my whole thing is when I get into something, I get obsessive about it because I have addictive tendencies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, like... I mean, I can understand why, um, what was I going to say? I can understand why your stepdad wouldn't want to, like, watch movies all the time because it's like, he's editing I'm at work right now, that kind of a thing. Yeah, it's like you're bringing work home. That would suck. Anyways. That's true. Yeah. But, I definitely uh, get that way about stand-up. Yeah. So you don't watch a lot of, uh. Netflix stand-up specials? Not unless it's, like, someone I love or someone has given me a heart, like, you have to watch this. I see. Anyways, um, by the way, okay, so you said you were bipolar. Can you also explain? Because you have bipolar, too. Can you explain the difference? I have bipolar, too, yes. Can you explain the difference between bipolar 1 and bipolar 2? And also you said you have psycho... Sorry, what is it again? Psychothemic, Um, right? No, uh, hypomania. No, I mean, like, you said cyclothemic, right? Well, no, it was one day when we were discussing it, I'm like, there's different kinds of the wording for the way mania manifests. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, There is cyclothymia, uh, but I'm hypomanic. Okay, so you threw that word in, even though it it doesn't matter anymore. Okay, okay. Anyways, explain the difference between type 1 and type 2. and Explain the difference between mania and hypomania. Okay, so... Um, basically my rough understanding of it is, uh, you know, uh, the cycles of, uh, bipolar one last longer. So it doesn't oscillate as much. You're either like depressed or manic for a while. Mm -hmm. And it's just that I go from depressed to manic in shorter periods of time, like Mm -hmm. maybe just a month. Maybe maybe two months is generally like the longest any one period will last. But then, mm-hmm. you know, also I can, I I am uh, I'm more depressive dominant 
Yeah. Uh, and it's hard to know which is better, really. Uh, uh, they, they both have their drawbacks, but as far as, like, hypomania, it's sort of like, um, I never truly reached the peak of the mountain. Like, mm-hmm. I've never gone... <laughs> This is very insulting, but a doctor looked at me disappointed once. I was just like, I just don't think your delusions of grandeur are grand enough. And I'm like, oh. Like, even as a manic person, I don't believe in myself. It's almost like you're bipolar, but you're not, like, the stereotypical bipolar. You're just like, oh, you're like, you know, your bipolarness is kind of more normal. I mean, not normal. Right. I've done the thing where I've, like... I've had a bunch of great ideas, and I'm using air quotes there, Mm -hmm. but I've never, like, tried to phone the Prime Minister or something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. I see. Wait, so then, I don't know, you never, like, tried to jump off a building? (laughs) Oh, I mean, I've done stupid things, Faith. Well, actually, wait. That's offensive, probably, say. You never jump off a building. Jumping off a building is terrible. We're trying... I'm just wondering, yeah, how... Well, it's all it's all terrible. Like, you're not making yeah. good decisions while you're manic. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but I can definitely think of, like... Uh, I, I wrote a play once, three drafts in a month, and uh, there's no way that wasn't mania-inspired. And it was like real Amadeus vibes of, no one disturb me, I'm working in my room, and I'm not sleeping, but it's fine because I'm touched by genius. Wait, but like, were any of the plays good, though? I mean, any of the drafts? That's the sad part is, yeah, it was. It was. It got nominated for an award. I mean, I lost the award. You got nominated, though. Yeah, yeah, I still got nominated. And that's the most frustrating thing is it's just like, because I don't think I would chase the mania. There, there's an inclination to chase the mania if you know that, like, the quality is still good. But, like, historically, that's what stopped a lot of great artists from getting help, is, like, nobody took F. Scott Fitzgerald to um, a physician fast enough because they're just like, well, the books are still good. Like, they didn't really have him committed until the money stopped flowing in. Mm-hmm. Or, like, the dip in quality happened. But by then, it's pretty... Yeah. Off the rails. Yeah. So they never really... Um, yeah. When all the stuff was good, they do was just like, we don't give a shit about your mental health until his work got bad. And then he's like, well, you have a problem. Well, there's also a perception of, like, genius and mental illness, too. So yeah. there is this whole, like, touched by God thing. Like, um. I mean, I wouldn't say some of you guys are touched by God. Well, I mean, now, yeah, but, like, the <laughs> Greeks actually believed that that was a thing. Like, I would have been a, a follower of Dionysus back then, uh-huh. where it's just like you got the mania and that was God's talking through you, and then you got the depression, and it was kind of like the cost of the mania. Mm-hmm. Or. Um, in in Nordic times, like, the the god of poetry, like, the mead of poetry was the blood of the god of wisdom when he got killed. And it's sort of that mixed with ambrosia, or the Norse equivalent of ambrosia. So it's sort of like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there has to be this weird sacrifice of genius to make this crazy art potion. 
you know, I'll have to look more into this stuff because, like, it sounds interesting. It's just, like, I don't know too much about Greek mythology. But it sounds interesting. Anyways, but, yes. You have so much knowledge about random things. Yes. Right? Or, or the, like, in other cultures, like, those are the ones that become the shamans and... And stuff mm -hmm. like that. What I'm saying is, I would be a lot more respected if I had mental illness in an older period of time. Well, you're in the 21st century. Sucks to suck. Yeah. Anyways. Okay, so then, wait, how would you say your bipolar affected your social skills? Like, when you were younger or just even, like, a few weeks ago? I don't know. Well, I mean, the depression kicks in earlier than the mania. Like, okay. I remember being seven and going into the doctor because I wouldn't stop having, like, tummy aches, which I now know is anxiety brought on by existential dread. But you don't know any of those words when you're seven, so it's just, my yes. tummy hurts. And, like, when I was 11, I remember being so convinced that I was going to die at 13 because I'm like, there's no way I can keep all this up. Wait, was it? Do you also think it's because, like, your uncle or whoever you're named after yeah, died at 17? Yeah, well, it doesn't have, like, yeah, it's sort of like a uh, a marked thing. But then also, like, for example, like, I really loved soccer, and my parents pulled me out of soccer to go take really intense swimming classes and like you have to learn to swim or you'll drown and i don't know if that for them was because i was named after someone who drowned okay so like it was kind of reinforced i'm like okay mm -hmm. i'm cursed yes so you essentially you were you thought you were cursed and you had all these stomach aches wait what else did and you thought you were gonna die at 13 okay wait then how else did your depression and anxiety manifest at a young age it was through stomach aches but like there's other stuff well, too, i mean right? just too sad to move but you were and like that's you, where the maladaptive trait daydreaming kind of mm -hmm. kicks in is when you're just like completely zoned out i thought you did sports though as a kid you said you loved baseball I did love baseball. I was good at it. But again, it's just like, who's going to drive me to those things? Who's going to pay for all that equipment? Oh. Oh, yeah. Your parents didn't do that for you, did they? Not not as much. Like, well, soccer. But that's like a penny and some shorts. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, in fairness to them, hockey's expensive, man. Yeah, I've never played hockey but i hear it's that's expensive so much equipment it's it's ridiculous mm -hmm. that's why um if you ever have kids you will not make them play hockey will you and again swimming lessons like intense swimming lessons it's still just like a pair of swim trunks and then jump in the water yeah you can get those from like walmart yeah exactly i see but essentially um yeah you, other than sports you couldn't move yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and I mean, it's the it's the time in between doing the fun thing, too. Yeah, like, would you sleep a lot? Like, a lot, a lot? I used to sleep a lot. Yeah, and I think that's also because, like, my mom was working nights as the emergency nurse. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, when I was at home, it's just like, you, you have to stay quiet. <laughs> so wait, how long would you usually sleep for? Because, I mean, there was periods when I would sleep for, for like, 14 hours. I mean, that stuff didn't really start. That part of it didn't necessarily start until high school. But at the same time, if I'm home and I can't make noise anyway, 
then I might as well just like take a nap. True. Okay, I see. So I wouldn't have known to clock it as depression yet. Yeah. Wait, but then it also... It probably was, but... Yeah. But you also said, like, you watch TV a lot. I guess, like, I don't know. Well, yeah, because she was at work at night. My dad was working during the day. Um, so there was always someone asleep. Um, yeah. And especially when they got divorced, too. Like, it's just... Uh, the the uh, Latchkey kid is the popular term. I'll have to look that up. So, again, and... Uh, living in a, a neighborhood with no other kids, like I learned, um, I learned social structure from like, and a social patterning from television, right? Mm-hmm. I see. Wait, so then, but didn't you feel like, didn't it make you feel like more depressed also? Because like you had depression, but you also didn't like talk to anybody because your parents were like never there. And also, you said sometimes you didn't have a babysitter, sometimes you did, sometimes you didn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, that's just as I got older. Yeah, but essentially, yeah, you're watching the TV all the time. Probably didn't make things better, unless you would say it did. I mean, some of it was good TV, and it really <laughs> did teach me, like, um, social interaction like i mm-hmm. still had something to base it off of by the time i was in regular yeah. uh school in one permanent place because we also like moved mm-hmm. around a lot yeah um so but by the time you're interacting with people and you're spacing it off of tv i'm like i'm mostly there but i can now tell when i'm going uh going too far and have to back it up and like what's the fantasy of tv and what's not where if mm-hmm. my friend's just like, hey, I have a date on Saturday. I'm like, oh, man, you should also have a date with another person and then try to have two dates at the same time at one location, right? That's relatable. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, never, never mind. Is that on Frasier? That's, that's like a major TV trope. That's I know it everything. is. But, like, is it also on Frasier? I think so. I think okay. it's an originally, like, a Happy Days or a Threes Company thing. Okay. Wait, so then, okay, so you learned your, like, social skills from TV, but then also, like, if you, like, had all these tummy aches and you were sad all the time, weren't you kind of, like, socially, like, you're either, like, socially, like, withdrawn or you just kind of clung to people to kind of make decisions for you because you're, like, you're kind of insecure because you're depressed and anxious? Don't! Well... He said this to me before, by the way. This is not... Me assuming things. We've talked about this stuff before. Yeah, yeah. We know We're each friend. other outside yeah. of this moment. We are good friends, I think. If you don't think so, then that sucks. But I, I'll say oh. that we are. Actually, that's a good example. When we were at um, <laughs> Second City together, and uh, it was the for the Valentine's Day show, and mm-hmm. we were submitting sketches, and all of a sudden, do you remember that I had written enough material in a day, a single day, for my own show, all themed around Valentine's Day. Like, that was the mania right there. Oh, I think I remember that. I'm like... Yeah. Um, I, by the way, we know each other from... Um, we used to write sketches together at Second City. Not like in the... Not like for the main stage as like a hobby that you had to pay for. No one paid us. So that's how we know each other. Yeah. Anyways, but yeah. We got a, a nice piece of paper. 
Yes, exactly. But yeah. Um. I- well, I think it's it it's two things. It's I'm I'm a very introverted extrovert. Like I still need other people's energy. Yeah. But I think when you are fighting that much for attention as a child, and I think this is universal. I just might have had it a little bit uh, stronger. I was just the like, okay, how am I being too much right now and not enough? Is mm-hmm. that what's happening? And so yeah. you try and figure out that balance. And so it, like you start to just have this like, I'm just going to go with the flow. Like if everyone else is happy, then I'm happy. And then no one will leave. No one will yell. And so it's just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I um, see. But then, I mean, I don't know. Didn't your friendships, like, I mean, you said they were kind of, like, one-sided. But I, you maintained them for a long time with that method. I maintained them, but there was only a slight few that had any depth. Like, you did not talk about feelings, emotions. You had surface-level, like, you know. If water, you, like, room What do you know about Andrew? Water? Like... He likes popcorn, and his favorite color is orange, and, like, that's about it. Yeah. Wait. He has curly hair. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so, wait, is it called water room talk, or what's that thing in the office called again? Oh, um, water cooler talk. Yeah, so yeah. would you say that's what you had a lot of as a, a little person? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hmm I see. But, um, what was I going to say? But, uh, yeah, you, so your social skills and your ability to, like, connect with people was just, like, not there. I, yeah, I, I was very good at being charming because I learned it from television, but there was no substance. Okay. I see. I see. I mean, like, I, I think, I feel slight similar to that i'm not saying i feel the exact same but i kind of get what you mean anyways but then so was that did you also do that through high school oh yeah oh in college college too um yeah yeah Mm -hmm. for the most part Mm -hmm. you know but then there's also like alcohol and stuff to deal with the anxiety yeah uh, so that i'm like oh well this way i won't be too much Mm-hmm. I like wa- literally almost watered down my personality. I see. But then like, so you said there was like a lot of like charm to you and stuff, but you always, you still like kind of, you said you still had, hid your like bipolar symptoms, kind of, right? Yes. Yes, I did. Uh, well, it's because uh, growing up with my grandparents, my grandmother was bipolar and... Anytime she was having any type of an episode, she just used to lock herself away in the room. And it was just sort of like, it was talked about, but sort of peripherally. And so there was, as a little kid, there's very much a sense of like, oh, grandma went to go turn into a werewolf or something. I mean, um, it's kind of, um, it's, it's sad, but like, I mean, kind of uh, interesting how you thought she was a werewolf or something. Yeah, well, I mean, it was scary exciting. Yes, I feel like... But then also as you grow up, you start to learn how other people treat people with mental illness. And yeah. so I'm just like... And, and like, 
uh, you know, there's a family history of it. Like, uh, some of my relatives were the first to really try out um, institutions oh, and when and, was this and stuff like that? Was this like a long, long time ago? Or was this still like the 1900s? My, uh, well, no, my grandmother and her mother also had it. Oh. Which wow. means it's a dominant gene. Oh, great. That's why. Is that one of the reasons why you don't want kids? Yeah, I think there's definitely like a, like a, a chance for it. But also a lot of my family is adopted. So the idea of adopting a kid never really put me off. Although yeah. I know it's also really hard to do that once they have it on a piece of paper that yeah. you have mental illness. Especially ones that aren't just like depression. And also, if you take medication for it too. Yeah, I was reading about all yeah. that stuff. So yeah, that sucks. But um, maybe one day they'll change. But so like when I saw that and I, well, I have other experiences, not just in my family of seeing how people dealt with people with mental illness. Yeah. Like, we could do a whole other episode on homeless epidemics, but oh it's just sort of like, oh, well, just like the movies, like, you can't tell anyone else that you're a werewolf. Okay. You know, I get that. you keep that to yourself or else you're going to get locked up. It was okay. a very real fear. Well, you haven't been locked up yet. No, actually, wait. No. I, I have were... been processed. And I have made it to the padded room, what I call the final boss level of the hospital, I'm where they sorry. like take away your shoelaces and belt. I'm sorry, I forgot you told me that story. By the way, I'm not laughing at him. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm. Oh, you can laugh. I have. I'm neurodivergent too. I have my own issues. This is why I made my this podcast. I'm just desensitized by the stuff I've seen in life, and we this get along. This is our with water cooler talk. Yes, we don't talk about. Um, you know, the, um, the birds that came up on our porch or something, unless you do, but I don't, right. and you don't, I'm assuming. Yeah, but. it's no, it's like us hanging out by the water cooler and being like, have you ever noticed when you stare into the abyss, the abyss really stares back at you? <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, this is actually a water, water cooler talk. But yeah, anyways, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry that I forgot about your little, um, padded room talk, but, um. Uh, what happened again? Well, I mean, oh, that's the other thing. is going to a hospital when you're having a manic episode. It just doesn't sound right because they're just like, what? Why are you here? I'm like, because I can't stop feeling great. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a tough sell. Hey, was your medication under control at that time or no? No, 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 no. Because I didn't realize what was happening to me was bipolar mm -hmm. and like the the blackouts and stuff had started coming but i'm just like not gonna tell anyone about that mm -hmm. um yeah the amount that i was unwilling to tell people like which really shows you how bad it finally got before it's just like okay put me in the room lock me up now mm -hmm. um how was the sponge uh, room by the way Hmm? How was that room, by the way? Was it like... Um... It, it was pretty interesting. It was comfy because it was all mattresses. Yeah. Uh, and they they give you sandwiches. 
if you ask for a sandwich, they'll bring you a sandwich. And it's pretty much the only place to get um, good deli in Toronto, but it is not for the faint of heart. And then you're kind of sitting around in the pen, as it were, and everyone does that, like, so what are you in for? And again, it's just like, I can't stop feeling amazing. Gotta sing, gotta dance. Mm -hmm. And I remember this woman who had been strapped down on a gurney literally heard that and summoned up the strength to like lift herself up and tell me to go fuck myself. And like, fair enough for her. Wait a minute, you were talking to, there's other people in the sponge room? Yeah, well, oh. there's there's like a processing sponge room. And then there was another one where they you're one-on-one with a person and they kind of took my like heart rate and took my vitals to make sure you know, what was happening was really happening and just to, like, make sure I wasn't also having a stroke or a heart attack or Mm -hmm. something like that. I see. So you were in the... Okay, so you were in the waiting room, but then in the waiting... The waiting room was in a sponge room. No, it was. It was. It was both. Oh, crap. Okay, never mind. It was sort of like you you went into a mattress room. Yeah. And then you're just like... And they lock you in there, and then there's, like, someone's going to come back for you. And I'm like, sure they will. Wink. Um, But someone does. And then they open a different door, and you go into another mattress room that's tinier, and it's got more, like, vital machines. Oh. um, Was there enough space to move around in that one? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least that's that's a good thing. I mean, it's the size of an interrogation room, really. Okay, that's not too bad. You got, you know, you got room to do some laps if you wanted yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I could, I could do push-ups. Mm-hmm. But then, oh, by the way, uh, back to, not just by the way, we're, we're going to go back to the high school and college years. So then, I don't know, like, in terms of uh, your bipolar, like, you said that this was, by the way, this was, um, this was off uh, recording when I asked him this, but um, you mm. said that your, um, you started um, displaying, like, bipolar symptoms sometime in high school, and then you just thought it was mood swings. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, you just get told a lot, like, you're an angsty teen. <laughs> um, and it was, it was so much worse than that. Um, but again, you kind of keep it to yourself. And, like, uh, the other thing that we really don't talk enough about is there's no real cure for bipolar disorder. And people tend to self-medicate. And the reason for that is it does kind of work. When I say that, I'm not encouraging it. But it did. Like, if I drank enough, it calmed me down to function. Yeah, so wait, would you say that, did you have, like, a big alcohol problem when you were younger? And how young were you, if you did? I don't think I had an alcohol problem so much as I had a depression problem. Like, Mm -hmm. again, being bipolar, I'm kind of just wired for addiction backwards. It's Mm -hmm. not so much what the substance is, it's what do you got? I see. So you wouldn't say you're, like those famous writers who all are alcoholics necessarily or would you well i mean if they're famous i'll (laughs) uh (laughs) i mean it's it's just more of a drug of choice thing 
That's Whereas, fair. like, the come down for alcohol for me is actually super severe, and I found out I'm allergic to a lot of it. What I thought was being drunk was actually, like, my tongue swelling and getting headaches from oh, being shit. allergic to, like, beer and stuff like that. Oh. Um... Wait, are you... Yeah, so then I get this to, like, ooh, he's the ritzy person who drinks wine. I'm like, it's not... I can't... Fine, yes, I'm very sophisticated. So that's the only thing that you're not allergic to? Wine? Well, I mean... No, I can also have, like, whiskey or something. I just can't really do beer. Okay, then. Yeah. If we ever... Okay, if I ever have to... bring you a drink i will make sure not to bring it bring you beer right yes okay i'll keep that in mind anyways um what else was i gonna say so then you wait did you start drinking in high school then like to manage your mania i mean a little bit like everybody did like i think everyone had that like if you didn't have an older sibling you found someone who did and then they would buy you the beer and then you'd go drink it off in the like woods or in the park after dark or something Mm -hmm. like that but it wasn't like to manage mania at that point um i mean it was i just didn't know what that was i just thought i was too much for people and also we were all taught to to do that to deal with social anxiety Mm -hmm. like it's it's very much ingrained in the culture that that is a coping mechanism yeah the alcohol is which yeah it shouldn't be but and then you get shamed if someone's like oh they just can't handle their booze and like that's not that's a real frat bro mentality yeah we hate frat bro mentality this is the anti-frat bro podcast this podcast is supposed to be for everybody but it's not it's just like no frat bros sorry (laughs) yeah yeah. anyways but yeah i don't know i i kind of see what you mean it's like you drank as a teenager to deal with your social anxiety but then when you were older it was more to manage like mania symptoms Right. And then how long did you drink to manage your mania symptoms? Was it, uh, like, was it a long, long time or not that long? Uh, I mean, I only recently truly, like, basically stopped drinking pretty recently. But the, the point where I got it, like, I was drinking, like, a normal person amount. Mm-hmm. Um... I would say 26, 25, 26. Okay, that's not like, I mean, that's like only like, what, like seven years of drinking? Well, that's still like, I mean, it's not great, but it's like, you know. Well, no, that's of heavy Okay. Or drinking. And again, like, another thing that, like, kept me sober was I wanted to be good at comedy. Mm -hmm. And if you're learning to do stand-up but you're drunk, you never really get over your stage fright. So it's like, I have to learn how to do comedy, and then I have to learn how to do it drunk, and then I have to stay drunk. So if I did uh, drink too much, it was always after my set. So... A saving grace was that, like, I had ambition priorities. I see. Okay, so it was mostly motivated by that. But then, don't some people get up on stage and, like, alcohol makes them, like, more confident sometimes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and I had good sets while I was drunk, but it scared me 
because I knew that I would mm-hmm. uh, just use it as a crutch. Like, uh, I always kind of knew I had an addictive personality. Mm-hmm. Wait, Especially did- if, like, ooh, this kind of balances me out and makes me socially acceptable. Like, eh, gotta be afraid of that. I was very self-aware. Mm-hmm. Wait, did your parents sense any, like, issues? Like, with your bipolar or just, like, the drinking or anything? No. Um, other than... Uh... I think that's another thing is people would assume I was an alcoholic because I was just hanging out at bars and I kind of had to prove that I wasn't uh, to take me seriously with the comedy. But I think the thing that concerned my parents is I was suddenly friends with people that were much older than me, like 15 years older or something. Because I started stand up when I was like 18 and it got me out of the house and I was around people I could really relate to for the first time. But like we're we have a big age gap. And I don't think it's that weird. <laughs> and I, a lot of people I'm friends with, have, we have a big age gap. I don't think it's that weird. Right, but like... It probably is, though. I don't think <laughs> that we have such an age gap that you would consider me a father figure. That True. kind of a thing. And also, I mean, like, by the way, this friendship isn't, like, creepy by any means. I don't know. It's like, you know, it's not, like, I don't think it's that bad. Like, I'm 22, almost, and you're... 34. So there's a 12-year age difference. It's not that weird, I swear. Well, and we also met each other in a very different context. Yeah, it's not like uh, the Tinder or something. No, we're we're friends. We're friends. And it's not... We we know each other not Second city. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. But, um, yeah, your parents were concerned because you were friends with older people. A lot older Right. But again, I had been taught that as a child to, like, make conversations with grown-ups instead of children. I don't think it's, like, that big of a deal. If anything, shouldn't they have been more concerned about your, like, mood swings that were, like, more bipolar-y than they were mood swings? Yeah, but there's also a stigma within the family, too, of just, like, you're fine. It's not that other thing. It's not that other thing that occasionally happens. It's definitely not because they don't want it to be that thing. Um, uh uh-huh. Because most people live in denial. Good old um, people live in denial. But I mean, here's the thing about being neurodivergent is don't you find that it makes you very good at noticing patterns? Oh, and totally. And some, sometimes you notice a pattern that like other people don't want to notice. Like, you'll say something that's very bluntly true, and they will be like, what? Like, you pulled someone out of their denial that they didn't want to. Like, the first, the first quote-unquote jokes I ever got in school as a little, little kid, like in kindergarten, was I would, because again, my parents were about to get a divorce, I would sort of reenact fights that they were having but as a kid oh I didn't know. my god okay i'm not i'm not laughing Cause, i'm well because but i <laughs> you you can laugh it is humorous i'm sorry my parents are divorced too but continue but like, with that I could story do solid impressions of them and the thing was i was never saying the actual fight they had i would say the subtext of what they were doing 
But as a four-year-old, they, did you even know that what they were fighting about? I mean, I think a marriage counselor will tell you the fight is never about what it's about. It's about something deeper than that. Okay. You know, it's never about like, you got kiwis and I asked for oranges. You know, mm-hmm. it's about like, you're not listening to me. You don't see me. And like, for some reason, I clued into that as a kid. And so that's what got laughs <laughs> is it was this brutal, emotionally honest thing. But like, you're not supposed to say that. Yeah, it's kind of funny, though. I'm sorry, I'm desensitized to all your things that are supposed to be not, <laughs> not supposed to, I'm not supposed to be desensitized to them, but I slightly am, I think, because I've been talking to you a lot lately. But yeah, um, with that being said, um, yeah, uh, I don't know what, <laughs> I forget what you're talking about prior to the whole thing about you reenacting your parents fighting, but... Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, that's funny, but... Yeah, um, your parents didn't notice anything about you, essentially. Or you you noticed more about your parents, and... Oh, yeah, you were talking about how, like, as neurodivergent people, we're we're observers of stuff. Well, and again, if you think you're turning into a werewolf, you also have to make sure that no one else notices that you're turning into a werewolf. So you watch everyone else... A little bit closer Mm -hmm. kind of a thing but also like again my parents were trying to piece their lives back together after divorce like Mm -hmm. uh you know and i imagine it would kind of suck for my dad who like i saw him on the weekends but the weekends is the only time that he can go and hang out with other people and socialize and build a life for himself so he's not lonely the rest of the week good old Um, parents right I know, so great. Wait, then, what was I going to say? Um, but, like, you, but your parents didn't even, like, I know you said they were focusing on themselves and stuff, but they didn't even notice the whole, like, you said you, like, used to run around the school. Did no, no teacher tell your parents that? No, because I still kept really good grades. But, like, oh, yeah, well, but, yeah, what specifically happened again when you said you used to do that? Oh, I would just, like, I had a lot of anxiety, and I would wander around during lunchtime and just see what everyone was doing, and I used to treat conversations, like, group conversations, like TV channels, I'm just like, what's what's this one like? Uh, I've, I've had this one before, I'm going to keep checking. But I could never, I never picked a channel, I just kept flipping and flipping. Another thing about that, too... Is I learned, again, the rule is you can get away with being weird if it's funny. And the same thing of, like, being the class clown, I wasn't trying to make the other kids laugh. I was trying to make the teacher laugh so that I wouldn't get in trouble. Yeah. So, like, for example, in, in high school, in, like, history class, my, my teacher, Mr. Martin, uh... He uh, made me a deal of, like, if you keep your grades at, like, 85%, I will let you make history-related jokes in class. So I had, like, I had like a hot 10 on the War of 1812. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, God. I can't imagine yeah. a teacher doing that, but it's kind of cool. Right? Yeah. Um, 
And people give you all kinds of lessons and they're like, oh, that kid's funny. He's not disturbed. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because also being on the improv team, we would pull pranks around the school. And instead of like getting in trouble for it, it was kind of like they're on the improv team. They have it Mm -hmm. hard enough as it is or like their brains just work like that. Oh, isn't that great? But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, is there anything else you did kind of weird when you were younger? Oh, actually, um, speaking of weird, sorry, I just thought about this. This is kind of off topic, but, um, how old were you when you were, like, looking into, like, medication again? Because you said, and you said there was, like, this whole thing you were looking for in terms of, like, once you got out of university and, uh, you were trying to find therapy and medication, but it was, like, really hard to get. 25, I started to be like something was wrong, but um, getting into the system is hard because like doctors are so reluctant to actually help you with a mental problem because they're like, we don't know what that is. We -hmm. can't really solve that. So a lot of times it's like, you just need more sleep. And I'd be in there with Mania being like, yes, but that's not what's making me not sleep mm. um what was the first you medication know, you were on by the way like ever eventually at like 29 i was on serotonin uh and it was great it was just for my depression but the thing is if you have undiagnosed bipolar disorder it just if you move the depression out of the way it really gives the mania room to stretch its wings in yeah. such a way that it won't go I hate to say it won't go back because it was always there. It's not like I unleashed the monster, but I definitely pushed it front and center to the stage Mm -hmm. kind of a thing, you know? And like, I wasn't really able to get much help until I moved to Toronto because I spent six months with a counselor who was just trying to find me a therapist. And there's just not enough to go around. Wait, so you spent, like, a long, long time trying to get help in Winnipeg. I didn't realize it was, like, that long. Oh, yeah, no, because, like... All right, I'm going to say some dark truths right now. Oh, it's okay. It's probably the, true. The first uh, the first interaction I had with a doctor was just like, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm too depressed to move all the time. Like, you just need sleep. And I'm like, yeah, but what if I leave and I don't come back? And it wasn't oh sleep. And, was, and he honestly said to me, like, well, you either got sleep or you killed yourself. And then he, like, walked out like that was a punchline. Oh, my God. Right? And so other friends of mine who were mentally ill started to notice, like, yeah, he's definitely, he's he's joined the club. So we're going to give him some free advice. <laughs> and I got, like, honestly, it's just, like, Tell them you're ready to kill yourself, even if you're not, because it's the only way it's like a mandatory thing in the manual. Like, oh, now we have to listen to him. Mm -hmm. Um, And sadly, it was true. And then the other thing that only got more pertinent in the age that we're in is like, if you're mentally ill, just make a pact. You're never going to call the cops. Just don't call the cops ever. (laughs) Um, It's only really gotten like prominence now. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, sadly, inherently true. Because mm-hmm. if, if you know, if I'm ever in a bad place, I probably need a social worker, not a yeah, not a policeman. 
Wait, I didn't know. Okay, so I didn't even know you were on medication before your diagnosis. Because I remember you saying, like, after your diagnosis, you tried to go on pills and they kind of sucked. And then you're, like, you're on good pills now, but. I'm on good pills now, but I remember, like, just trying to get treated for depression. Like, that, uh, that took me about almost four years. And then when they actually took, like, uh, did a bunch of tests and, you know, knew the chemicals that were riding around my brain, my brain just does not make, like, um, uh, uh, Serotonin. Yeah, and dopamine. Like, they showed me the little, like, graph and the needle just drops. Like, the doctor who finally gave me the note was just like, I don't know how else to put this. You were like the Babe Ruth of depression. Like, it was just killing it. I'm like, all right, good, thank you. I'm laughing with you, I swear. I know, I know. Mm-hmm. Wait, so then, um, then, okay, so like, you know, only getting diagnosed with depression at the, for like so long and not getting diagnosed with like bipolar, then how was it like being in the comedy scene? Just having that, the wrong diagnosis. Um. Oh, and also wrong medication and no therapy. Well, I mean... There's a lot of us going around. Um, and I mean, that's the stereotype, but it's like we're in a profession where we talk about ourselves more. Like, you want to see some like addiction behavior, like, you've clearly never worked um, for lawyers, for account, uh, like, for executives, for like in a kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because they wouldn't talk about that kind of a thing. But, like, I both found the people that I related to more, and I found people I related to less. Mm-hmm. But then you said, like, well, don't you say, like, sometimes you, like, depend on your mania to make you funny? Um, I don't know if I dip- Like, sometimes it just, it just writes the creative, like, it puts a fire under my butt. But at the same mm-hmm. time, too, depression is actually great for, like, um, writing stand-up because it's just, it's giving you two different lenses. Like, mm-hmm. depression is really, like, zooming in with a microscope on what's going on, and mania is zooming out, like, looking back from space, and uh, sort of like, well, if we take that to its end conclusion, that's where we're headed, baby. Um... So in a weird way, it does, it does help. It's just sometimes I worry that the mania me is more charming and confident and, you know, people like that more. And it makes me, like, it forces me to interact with life in a way that I am naturally scared to as mm-hmm. a sad recluse. Um, I see. And it's only, like, I'm trying to get it into my head that, like, Mania didn't make you charming or confident. Mania just makes you fast and arrogant. Um, And a lot of people confuse arrogance and intelligence. Yeah, because I think you're smart. I don't think you're arrogant. You think think people think you're arrogant. I don't think you're arrogant. I, oh, if I'm on a manic tinge, I do get a little bit, a little bit arrogant. It's a little bit of like the mad genius because you get so frustrated with people, right? Because your brain is moving faster than your mouth can practically keep up. Mm -hmm. And so people are just like, uh, what? What are you talking about? Because I'm making connections in my head 
that the other person doesn't even know about. Like, I'm always five steps ahead. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just like, oh, you're bogging me down, you peasant. Like, it's a real, it's a problem have I you have said doing that improv before? sometimes. Hmm? Have you said you're bogging me down, you peasant, to somebody before? No, but I might as well. Like, it's just the way I react to people. Okay. It gives me a very short fuse. Like, I have no patience. It's gone. But it also makes sense because I'm practically vibrating with energy. I see. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, also, wait. Briefly. Um, what else? Mm, I kind of forget. I don't know. It, we'll just... it, it works that way for improv, too. It make, yeah. gives me a huge problem because... And especially just how my brain works as, like, a script editor and learning all that. Like, I'm always thinking of plot points and connections. And if that's true, what else is true? And I find that sometimes I'm bad at communicating, like, oh, I'm five steps ahead of my scene partner. Uh And they're not, like, I do expect in improv it's a certain level of trust, but you can definitely confuse a person. So it's, I really have to focus and manage. And that's where, like, meditation and exercise really help. Meditation exercises are really great. I just started um, using Headspace, and it's really great. It is really great. That's why they're worth a billion dollars now. Bruh, I can see why. But, like, that's a lot of money. That's also awesome. Anyways, but then, so with all of this, um, you know, all of us talking about your bipolar and your... All that other stuff that you feel like makes you unrelatable. Would you say your social skills suck, though? Because, like, I feel like you're talking and, like, your social skills, like, you're kind of, um, I guess. Well, my father I, was also a salesman, too. I don't think they're like, terrible. I just think it's more like yeah. uh, your ability to connect with people might be a little altered. I guess that's what I mean. Yes, connection is totally um, messed up. Because, yeah. like, the trick when you learn also sales is you give something that someone wants so they like you but at the same time you're getting something for yourself that you're not saying but it's okay because no one's getting hurt yeah but then so it puts you in a lot of like control issues and like manipulation even if it isn't malicious Mm -hmm. it's still um uh dishonest like it's not being emotionally honest with people so how do you expect to like really form a connection yeah but then i also thought it was also because like you said uh before that it was like you know because you were like alone a lot too so it's like hard to you know not to connect with people well yeah um because it's also i feel like i only have so much energy to give people before i start to get anxious and Mm -hmm. and and need to almost like recharge my batteries or something like that um um but then what about um what was i gonna say does your bipolar do you think wait of course it would affect the way you connect with people i feel like my mental illnesses you know affect the way i connect with people right well and 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 like romantic relationships are a whole different level to that too Mm -hmm. because again 
by clinical definition in the DSM manual, I'm an addict. And so you seek out people with other similar behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really hard to learn boundaries with that Mm -hmm. because you kind of want to just absorb each other right away. And so, like, for example, if I'm, you know, I'll get afraid that someone's going to, like, absorb me and leave me no room to be myself. And I'm only now just, like, learning how to put up boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, But then at the same time, they will absorb you until uh, it no longer, till they get bored. And I, I, you know, I've been the bad person on this side of this, too. But then the thing that gets stuck in your head is just, like, oh, they left because they got to know the real me. Like, Mm -hmm. I opened up and they found out I'm a bad person. So it's sort of that, like, um, that avoidant attachment style of, like, I want to be close to you until you want to be close to me and then I get scared. That sounds more disorganized to me, but then again, I don't know. I mean... I guess because, like, that's how I describe myself. Like, I I have disorganized, so that's where it gets confusing, but I don't know. Do you think it's confusing? Do you think you have disorganized, maybe? Well, I know whatever it is, it's not working for me. (laughs) It's it's not... There's no ring. It's not, yeah. I mean... Yeah, no one put a ring on it. Yes. Wait, then, you also say, like, the people that you tend to gravitate toward, you would say are not... In your words, like, not um, the best influences? Well, I mean, it's usually like you're trying to recreate a dynamic you know, and it's like addiction and addiction. Mm -hmm. And it really facilitates, like, romantic or otherwise, it's sort of like, you know, um, I can't have a drinking problem because look at them. That's nuts. I'm fine. Glug, glug, glug. Um but then you also like want to seek those people out as drinking buddies and you become an enabler and mm-hmm. uh, I see. And, and vice versa. But, and, and at the, and, and you get a uh, kind of addicted to like adrenaline in the same way that we were talking about, like, yeah, put spicy stuff on your food, both because like it wakes me up, it stops me from disassociating, but also it gets the, it gets the blood pumping. It lets me know I'm alive. Mm-hmm. kind of a thing yeah um so then um do you still find yourself like gravitating toward those kind of people or not anymore i think and and that's a huge thing about uh like you'll find it in therapy you'll find it in something like aa you'll find it in buddhism it's all about like oh once you recognize the bad behavior you kind of can't not see it Mm -hmm. like it really makes everything a bummer (laughs) and so (laughs) what happens is you kind of learn this thing about like you want um you want butterflies you don't want like rapid heartbeat when you meet someone because it's almost like a false Mm -hmm. thing like you think that that's love it's anxiety it's anxiety meets adrenaline Mm-hmm. And so now it's not that I don't feel that when I meet some people. It's just I've learned that, oh, that's not love. That's my body sounding a tiny alarm in my chest. Yeah. So, like, be careful. Mm-hmm. And see. that could be be careful because 
that's the vibe I'm getting off of that person. Or it could be, be careful because that's who you are. Yeah, I see. So then, like, I don't know. How are you working on all of this stuff, then, that you feel like needs to be, you know? Oh, um... You know, I, I don't want to say... you you. I just feel like you say that your life, you think it has... You know, it's not perfect. Not saying it ever will be. Just saying how do you think you're, like, working on that right now, I guess. Not to make it too vague. You know what I mean. Well, um... You said you meditate. I, I definitely meditate. And that changed my life in a big way. Are you um, trying to communicate better with people? Are you trying to be around people I that I am, are... and I'm trying to trust that, like, you know, people aren't just there to hurt me. There are people who, like, give back, mm-hmm. and I can open up to. Because the whole idea is, like, the beautiful gift is you kind of learned life wrong. Which Mm -hmm. sounds terrifying. Like, if somebody coming up to go, like, everything you think is true is wrong. And Mm -hmm. to that I say, thank God, because it was a nightmare in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that there are other options. Yeah. And so I think I reach out to people more. Mm -hmm. And I put up boundaries for people that I know aren't going to, like, give that energy back and just kind of drain me. Um, But at the same time, as far as, like, balancing mood disorder stuff, like, I changed my diet. I exercise uh, three to four times a week. And people say things like, um, you know, it's just like, oh, yeah, you're looking good or something. I have no idea. It's it's 100% for mental health reasons. And also, it's a weird thing, too, because, like, your metabolism changes between depression and... And um, uh, mania. So, like, I get really fit when I'm manic. So it's almost like, hey, you look great. I'm very ill right now. Thank you for noticing. Um, Because, like, when I buy clothes, it's almost like my closet looks like three people live in there. Because there's depression-sized pants, there's regular pants, and there's mania pants. Oh, God. Right? Yeah. Wait, but also, um, does your wait? Does your medication also alter that too, though? Because like you, um... it can uh, certainly like cutiapine. Oof, I gained weight and couldn't stop sleeping. But like you're not on that anymore, though. No, like... I'm on I'm on Welbutrin, the um, the 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 mental health drug of the stars. It's very common, yeah. Because like, wait, by the way, how was? You said like quetiapine. It didn't necessarily. It it also made you like not speak, right? Oh yeah, that's a like. But okay, and here's the thing. I'll premise this with is there is no cure. Uh, otherwise, there wouldn't be so many different kinds of medication. Like mm-hmm. my brain just reacted this way to this medication. You could yeah. maybe take it and be fine, listener. I don't know your health history. But for me, yeah, it just knocked me out. And, um, oh, I forget the word for it. But it was kind of like, it would make me not able to say certain words. Not forget words. Um, but, like, for example, um, I could all of a sudden discover I couldn't say the word carousel. And I could see the word in my head. I could see a physical carousel. But for some reason, my mouth was just, nope. And the more nervous and the more anxious I got 
once I discovered I couldn't say a certain word, would make me unable to say a bunch of words. So imagine how stressful that is when you're a stand-up comic and you discover you can't say certain words that are in your act. It becomes like that uh, Who's Line game of, like, should have said. Like, how am I going to get out of this one? I mean, yeah. Um, and then at least you're not of, on them anymore. Yeah. Well, and then because of the other stuff, too, like the blackouts, like, oh, if I get too stressed, I'm going to black out entirely. And then God only knows what I did. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a real... There was a time in my life where I thought I couldn't do comedy anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, Just physically. Well, now we can thank Well Butrin. Well Butrin. And Klonopin? Yes, please. Um... Is it clonopin or a, yeah? It is clonazepam for me. Uh, it just like it just knocks you out, and it's also good when you're detoxing off of another medication, which uh, nobody told me how to do properly, and it's super dangerous. Oh yeah, I mean I've never done it the proper way though, so but I just hear it's dangerous. <laughs> I I finally got a doctor who knew what it was like because he was on the same medication. So thank God, because mm-hmm. like. You know, if you're mentally ill, don't think that you can't do something. Think that you should be doing something because, like, we need people, we need teachers with mental illness that can talk about it and know what Mm -hmm. they're talking about. We need doctors that actually know what's happening in the brain. Yeah. Um, Because I remember him talking, we were like, okay, you're going to have to do this carefully because otherwise it's kind of like the end of train spotting. And I thought that he was kidding. But wow, no, it's just joint aches and pains. I like sweated through an entire mattress. Like, I haven't seen the... train spotting. I'm sorry. I mean, I'll look it up so that I get good, the reference. It's good, but it'll bum you out at a certain point. <laughs> okay, I'll like. Okay, so essentially, if you go off pills really fast, then it'll be a big bummer. That's all I know. But I'll, I'll watch. Well, it's, it's detox. It's. This, okay. This is exactly what it is. It's detox. I'll look it up. Anyways, but yeah, wait. Also, didn't you say you? Okay, so you don't. You're not in therapy right now, but you did the CAMH. Uh, oh no, I'm in therapy right now. I didn't know that. Oh, hey, I'm in therapy too. But you did. You also said you did the CAMH group therapy too, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, I did CBT, and I I learned to meditate there. Mm-hmm. Really, like I was I was doing it before but like it's different when like you have to actually like it's on your google calendar yeah and other people are holding you accountable it's great have you done the observe describe and participate yes which i hated because it's just sort of like i don't want to deal with my emotions which i really should because that's why i was blacking out is Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um it's one of those things like, this is stupid, I hate it, and you just talk shit about it the whole time, and then later, just like, oh, I actually used it. Like, I had a feeling in my stomach, I acknowledged what that feeling was, and I could spot it and use it, or like, I caught my negative thinking loop. Mm-hmm. Like, you just hate it, but it actually works. Oh, yeah, totally. But yeah. But it's cool you're doing all of that stuff. Anyways, but also one more thing. What do you what do you wish people would do to adapt to you cuz I know you're working hard on 
you know, observing what you do and adapting yourself to, you know, other people's social skills. But what do you think they should do to adapt to yours? I'm definitely sick of um, media's portrayal of disassociation because it's all multiple personality disorder because that's almost like the more dramatic and interesting one. Which is now called dissociative identity disorder, by the way, for everybody who wants to know. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. But like... I also kind of get because like I am grateful for it because it definitely taught me empathy and in fairness to my family not understanding what I do for a living like part of that adrenaline go is like I've been a street performer at an amusement park before I opened for a Chinese acrobat troupe I helped run a playwrights guild I you know I taught at a university for a bit I like yeah just private contract stuff i wasn't uh well i'm still cool so yeah but it's just like i've never i've always done multiple things at Mm -hmm. once and i think that's a lot of the the energy coming off of that or i'll do like uh, a podcast or interviews for websites and stuff and write articles like i'm never doing all that stuff if anything like i usually keep like a restaurant job or something just to make sure i like see people regularly oh i didn't know that's why you keep you know i thought i didn't know that's why you had a well i mean job. during the pandemic you know beggars can't be choosers but yeah true do you still work at the spaghetti factory on occasion no and that's a fun one too because like it's a weird place to work where a bunch of bizarre stuff happens like celebrities love eating at the old spaghetti factory where you'll get like a murder mystery uh guild will book out a room for a while or you know something like that so it mm-hmm. it's like a boring regular job in a really weird atmosphere so i'm not bored yeah i'll have to go there someday maybe you're not maybe i don't know if you'd want me to come when you're working though probably not it might be weird i hate when people come into my come into my work well I'm not working right now, but... Right. You know. Well, the stuff I've done for them lately is mostly just, like, data entry stuff in the back. So, like, I um, could be there, but I won't be there. I see. Anyways, but yes... Like, copywriting. Oh, I like copywriting. It's fun. Anyways, but yeah, is there anything else you want people to adapt to you? Or just anything you want to tell people? You can tell anybody anything. Um... I think I, I I just want to go with empathy because, like, it's not as d- dangerous as it could. Like, I had a guy come in off the street into that restaurant once, and he was clearly having a manic episode. Mm-hmm. And it kind of freaks people out because it looks erratic or something. Yeah. But he, he had a very set goal. And he tipped very well. Like, he was a nice person who just happened to be erratic. And I wish Mm. I could hit that home a little bit more. Yeah. Because, like, I don't know. It's not... It shouldn't be as, uh, you know, it shouldn't necessarily be, like, as scary to people or, like, even scary to people necessarily. I don't know. You know what I mean. Right. And I think... think Give people the benefit of the doubt. 
I think that also gets into, you know, when people see erratic people on the street, they assume drugs or something. And even what I was talking about before about how like, be. people, people self-medicate uh, because it works. Or, I mean, like, to a certain uh, extent, not all self-medication works. No, it, it doesn't. But, like, it has a desired, it's not a long-term fix, but it's sometimes it's all you can get your hands on. And it's not yeah. good. But it's like have empathy towards it, yeah. Because I think people are a little bit too much like drug addicts are bad people. I'm like, no, they're addicted to substances that were designed to be addictive. Yeah. Um. Whereas it should be a little bit more like, why is there a drug epidemic happening right now? How are people getting uh, access to those things? Like, yeah. it's like. Yeah, you know, it's like, don't yell at the Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. Yell at the problem, the I illness. See. I see what you mean. Okay. But yeah, I think you, I think you got a good point there. And I think uh, you shared a lot of information. It's probably a lot more you could share. You said you could do a three-part series. Um, I don't know if you want to. Essentially, um, we. by the way, we recorded, or not, we didn't even record. We had a session before of trying to record, and... I didn't record it, so thank you, Andrew, for being patient with me. Anyways, I don't think you we're going to do... scamp, you rascal. I am all those things. Anyways, but, um, yeah, probably, there's probably a lot more you could say, but anyways, thank you for coming on, but uh, is there anything you want to plug, like your Instagram or something? I mean, I'm Thin Lizot at most of the things, L-I-Z-O-T-T-E, and uh, I have a podcast that should be coming out soon called oh, Punch Up Your Life. So CBC actually did get back to you? Um, no, I have found another like website home for oh. it, okay. uh, which is still good mm-hmm. um, and great because I'm just excited to get it out there. But basically, I have people on and they pitch me a time in their life. Like if your life was a biopic, what story would you tell? And then I help them punch it up to make it better. And we add, like, radio play sound effects and, like, crazy stuff. So it's mm-hmm. half, like, real serious conversation like this. And then half, like, goofy make ups And then at the end, you get to hear the trailer for that movie. Okay. Can I go on there one time? Yeah. Yeah. Pitch me a movie. Okay. Anyways... Um, thank you for plugging all that stuff, and, uh, thank you for being on the show. Huzzah! We did it. Well, thank you so much for listening to the first episode. If you want updates on the podcast, follow the Instagram page at the Unrelatable Podcast IG. Have a good rest of your day, and I will see you next week.